Our Old Testament reading today comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. This is the word of the Lord. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thank you, Bryn. Well, we're continuing in our series called Resident Aliens, The Church in Exile, and this morning we're talking about our topic is beautiful wives and considerate husbands. And before we read our passage, we recognize that some things in the Bible uh, sort of fall out of fashion with the culture depending on where we are as a society at different times in human history. And it becomes necessary to get the Bible off the hook, if I can put it that way. Now, sometimes nothing we say will be enough for some people, but my hope this morning as we're talking about the duty of wives and husbands, uh, mostly wives, this passage deals with, is that you would give me a chance for the next 30 minutes to explain this passage and sort of work through the context. Uh, and I say this because some of you here or watching online may react strongly even to the wording of this passage, depending on where you are, your background or upbringing. So, Let's read our passage this morning, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. This is the word of God. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, husbands that is, they may be one without a word by the conduct of of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you, wives that is, are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, now we pray for your grace and illumination of your spirit to guide us through this passage. Help us to be sensitive, apologetically, mindfully, of or the world we're living in and how we might bear up and hold up and defend your inspired word, but be sensitive at the same time to the different sensibilities uh, that each one of us have that we might ultimately glorify Christ and be transformed into the likeness and image of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, as we read through that passage, the two things that sort of you should have noticed is 
Submission of wives to husbands and consideration of wives by husbands. So wifely submission to their husbands and husbandly consideration of their wives. Two things. As we move through this series, Resident Aliens, we've seen that a major component of living as exiles in the world is submitting to others. We've talked about a couple weeks ago that we are subject to human institutions we're supposed to be. In other words, we're not revolutionaries. We've said this time and time again. By and large, we are trying to work with the institutions that govern our society as good citizens, friendly neighbors. And last week, we talked about how employees ought to be subject to employers for the most part, right? We are trying to live in a certain kind of harmony as we reflect Christ and the gospel, and we don't want to give people a reason to reject the gospel message by, through, through anything that we're doing. And here today, wives are told to be subject to their own husbands. Now here's something interesting. The test of submission is always bad behavior on the part of the one being submitted to, right? So when your employer is treating you well, right, it's, there's no test of your submission to your employer because they're acting right. The real test is when they act unjust or cruel. And the same thing goes for the government or human institutions. It's when they're being oppressive or draconian that's the test of submission. And we talked last week and the week before that there are limits, even in the Bible. We know that. We are not called to yield to powers and authorities over us without qualification. There are times when we can rebel, when someone would have us do something that is sinful or blasphemes God. But for the most part, we are trying to live in a certain harmony as good neighbors and good citizens in this world. <clears throat> and so the same is true for wives, right? The idea that when a husband and wife are getting along, there is no real test to submission. The test, of course, is when, well, husbands act like jerks or worse. But again, there are limits to that as well. Now, where, we might ask, does Peter, the Apostle Peter, get this sort of theology of Christian submission to others from? Where does Peter get his theology from? Well, you may remember an incident in John 13 where Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist like a domestic slave and got on his knees to wash the feet of the apostles. And when he came to Peter, now this is some 30 to 35 years before Peter wrote the book of Peter, when Peter was a much younger man and Jesus was still with the apostles, that Jesus came to Peter and Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Peter said, no, 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 you will never wash my feet. Why? Because that was something that slaves did. It was demeaning. The idea that someone like Jesus, a respected teacher and rabbi, would drop to his knees with a towel wrapped around his waist and wash and dry the feet of people below him was radical. And Jesus said this to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no 
part with me. Now, what was Jesus teaching Peter? And what does Peter understand now as he writes his letter to the exiles that he didn't when Jesus was with them? Here it is. This is what Jesus, this is what Peter understands now, some 35 years out from that experience with Jesus earlier in his life. That the Christian imitates Christ in willing submission to others as an act of sacrificial suffering and service. Maybe you've never thought about wives submitting to their husbands in that way. But that's my whole point. My whole goal this morning is to get you to see every kind of submission to others as imitating Christ in willing, sacrificial, suffering service to others. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And I say to you wives this morning that if you're able to look at this command that way, oh, this isn't about inequality. This is about imitating Christ in my marriage. Yes. You know, sometimes the things in the Bible that are hard just require a little bit of contextualizing and explanation so that we might hear the words of God with the right ears and not be so defensive to fight against what the Bible says because you know, we're sort of looking at the Bible through cultural lenses. He said, take off, that, take off those glasses for a moment and enter into the world that Peter himself is speaking into. And we're going to get into the context a little bit more. But when we do that with the Bible, when we understand the context, we understand what was happening when it was written in the ancient Near East, it helps us explain and even defend what the Bible is saying. It, it often is the case that people thrash on the Bible, they attack the Bible because they don't understand the Bible. Because the Bible is an old book written in ancient times with a lot of cultural idioms from the Greco-Roman world or the world of the ancient Hebrews or the Canaanites. And when we enter into that world and understand the context, we're able to apply it to our lives. And so Peter wants wives to see that submitting to their husband is principally the way they embody Christian character. Look at the verse again, 1 Peter 3.1. Likewise, wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands so that even if, even if some of those husbands do not obey the word of God, they may be one without you having to say a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I personally have known of husbands who were unbelievers and their wives were believers and they attended church faithfully and they sort of just kept at it. And their husbands sometimes were scoundrels and rascals, but they continued to love on and serve their husbands faithfully. And over time, their hard hearts began to soften as they saw in their wives a kind of character that transformed them. It was really the gospel speaking through their wives' behavior. And that's what Peter is sort of getting at. That sometimes a full frontal assault to someone who is against you is not always the wisest course of action. But love is. Service is. 
submission to that person is. I mean, I've experienced it with employers over the years. I've worked for total jerks. And I remember one time years ago, I've shared years ago, I worked in the grocery store for 12 years and we had a guy come in and you know, you get used to a supervisor at any job. You get used to your boss and then, you know, they switch it out and a new person comes in and everybody, Ay. you gotta do, do this process all over again because the new people often want something totally different and it's frustrating and hard. But the people who don't understand sort of how to live in harmony, there's problems and they, they usually quit or get canned. And I remember I had this strategy with this new guy who came in after years and I could tell he was on one, if you know what I mean. He was out to prove to everyone this guy, he was the boss. It was gonna be his way or the highway. And I had been working there for a while and I, I said, I've got a good strategy. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sort of suck the tension out of the air by just doing whatever this guy says up front. And when he said something I did, and sure enough, he recognized that I wasn't sort of a threat to his authority. And he, you know, he sort of like, missed, you know, he redirected his jerkiness to other people. And he came to like love me and really like rely on me and um, sort of see me as a confidant. I don't know that I ever saw him that way, but, but because this sort of service and sacrificial suffering that I was bearing up under his authority spoke to him. And I remember, you know, leaving the grocery store, quitting and moving on, you know, in my 20s or whatever it was, and seeing him, and when he saw me, he was just so overwhelmed that I had opportunities to share the gospel with him. And this is sort of the heart of what Peter is getting at, that as you sacrificially suffer under other people, you are serving them and proclaiming something without words that speaks to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so... One of the first things I think we have to realize as we drill down specifically to this context is that there are God-assigned gender roles. Oh, tomatoes on the wall behind me. And I think that's self-evident. We know this biologically, right? God has assigned women with a biology that enables them to conceive and bear children. That's a God-assigned gender role, at least biologically. We know that, right? Women have uteruses and fallopian tombs, men don't. And <clears throat> what Peter is trying to highlight is that there are not only biologically God-assigned gender roles, but there are also sociological gender roles by God as well. Again, I realize this is completely countercultural. And a lot of people today hearing this would be totally disgusted at the idea. Maybe not 10 years ago, but that's where we are now as a culture. That this just seems bananas to a lot of people. God assigned gender roles. <clears throat> but again, just suspend your criticism for a moment and, and just enter into what Peter and the Bible is trying to say. Because this is instructive for us for where we are as a culture at this very moment. And, and here's the issue. We get bogged down in discussions of equality when the truth is this verse has very little to do with that. It's good to talk about equality. It's good to talk about ways that there are power dynamics where people abuse others with their power and oppress those. Like Those are, those are good and healthy discussions to have. This text, this, this, this verse has very little to do with that. What it does have to do with is how God has chosen for Christian women to follow Jesus into suffering. And here's the deal. Every one of us, male or female, God has called us 
to follow Christ in his suffering in this life in different ways. That may be hard for us to grab a hold of. Why would God want me to suffer? Well, it's not that God wants you to suffer, but there are some parts of your character that cannot be formed in you without the hardship of suffering. And not only that, we are acting like Christ, embodying Christ's own love for others by willingly suffering. And there's a freedom involved here. It's not slavery, it's freedom. Because what God is asking us to do is willingly and freely submit to others. Not as a prisoner, not as a violation of your will, but the idea that personal sacrifice before God is something we do willingly. Praise God we live in a part of the world where there's freedom, right? And we do have freedom, and people have freedom. And the Bible is not advocating some type of domestic marital slavery. What it's doing is it's inviting women in. We'll get to men in a minute. It's inviting a woman, a wife, a Christian wife, into Christ's own ethic of willing submission and sacrificial suffering. Now, husbands, maybe you've never thought that your wife sees her submission to you as suffering. But there is an aspect where that is absolutely true. Where if you can see sort of the, the day-to-day grievances or week-to-week or month-to-month or year-to-year sort of grievances a wife endures under her husband's leadership as a kind of suffering that God sees and honors, that's a beautiful thing. Because no marriage is perfect. And in every marriage, I'm sure wives, even Christian wives at times, feel Dominated by their husbands, maybe? And maybe that is not so much a Christian thing as just a fallen sinner male thing. It's something that men sometimes do. We don't know we do it. But again, we get bogged down in discussions of equality when this verse doesn't have a whole lot to do with that. Now, there's, there's a time for that discussion. But this is about how wives, I'm speaking to you Christian wives, how you can be like Christ in your marriage. That's how you should hear this. How can I be like Christ in my relationship with my husband? And Peter is telling you how. In the domestic world, women follow Christ's example of service and suffering by submitting to their husbands, even when or especially when he doesn't obey the word. And over the years in ministry, I've encountered a lot of women who were newly converted or they were Christians and they married non-Christian men. Uh, And they had unbelieving husbands. They were unequally yoked. And you know for yourself that when you're not on the same page with someone, it can be difficult. You're not aligned, right? There's not alignment in certain values in certain areas. And that can destroy certain marriages. And sometimes it feels oppressive. And clearly, the temptation to abandon these relationships were present for believing women who had unbelieving husbands, even in the first century. And Paul, the apostle, touches on this in 1 Corinthians 7, 13. Look at what he says. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. In other words, if he says, hey, I don't don't believe in your religion, but I love you and I don't want to break up, Paul, the apostle, says, work it out. Stay with him. Don't divorce your husband because he doesn't believe. 
stay with them. Because if you back up to Peter's verse, Peter is saying, because over time, your godly behavior may win him over to Christ. I think that makes sense, doesn't it? That's what's being said here. When a wife submits to her unbelieving husband, she bears distinctive witness to God and he sees in her Jesus Christ through her behavior. Her submission is a proclamation of the gospel. Now let's get into a little more application here. It goes without saying that this will be easier for some wives than for others, depending on personality or experience. And all the women said, amen. If you grew up seeing your father's wise and gracious leadership in the home and he treated your mother with respect and he treated her well, you have a positive reference point for this if you're a Christian wife. You think, this can work. I've seen it done. I've seen it modeled. My father was a good man. He loved my mother. He treated her with dignity and honor and respect. And even though he was the head of our home, he stewarded that power and authority very well. On the flip side, <clears throat> if you grew up in a home with an abusive or overly domineering father who belittled your mother and intimidated her, you'll have a much harder time with this. So let's be realistic. It's different for different people. It's tough. And if you're a woman for whom this passage is difficult to embody, you need extra grace and patience from God. And you need to be honest with God. You'll need more faith to trust in Jesus. So there's a spectrum of Christian women and some Christian women who are no less filled with faith in Christ and love God will struggle because of their family of origin and their background more than others. But you need to know, for you women who are struggling with your husband's leadership and authority and struggling with this passage, is that Christ is being formed in you through it. As you willingly Yield to your husband's initiative to lead. That's what the word submit in Greek means. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you're sort of in slavery bondage. It just means you, are, you yield. When the rubber meets the road and there's a disagreement, you yield to your husband's initiative to lead in certain areas of the marriage. Now, this is what I believe because I've been married 30 years. I'm no expert, but I've been married 30 years. <clears throat> Over time, my wife and I, I, I don't have to like you know, flex the muscles on, on Maribel. Uh, she's a very strong woman with a very strong personality. She's a Puerto Rican from the East Coast who does not ha did not have an idyllic upbringing. But one of the things that we've learned is, for the most part, we are aligned. And so the test of submission, it, I don't ha we don't have to test the submission meter because we agree on most things. And we've fought enough over the years where we've now got like, you know, a settlement on a lot of issues, you know? We generally say, this is the way we're gonna handle finances, this is the way we're gonna raise our kids, this is the way we're gonna live out our faith. And so the, the disagreements where the test of submission happens are few and far between. And I think that's a good, godly Christian marriage. Not a husband says, you know, we're gonna do it my way or the highway all the time. I mean, that's just jerkiness 101. That's not even Christianity, right? So, uh, <clears throat> 
I would be remiss if I didn't name the fact that un, in the name of Christian religion, throughout history, men have abused their wives, physically and verbally and emotionally. And so this command by Peter is not without its limitations. And so just as there are limits to submitting to human institutions, there are limits to submitting to your employers. You know, when a government or employer demands that we do things that are contrary to God, that betray our faith, we must obey God rather than men. And if a husband tries to make his wife do something that goes against her faith or commits sin, she cannot submit. She cannot yield. She cannot be subject or submissive. If an unbelieving husband says, you can't go to church, a wife must obey God. Or if a husband would endanger his wife, she is under no obligation to risk harm or injury for his stupidity. But that's not what Peter's thinking of when he writes this. The whole context of Peter's words is about the posture of the believing wife to willingly submit for the sake of Christ because sacrificial service preaches the gospel to people. That's where Peter's mind is. Peter is not making an entire, totally exhaustive statement about marriage. The whole context and trajectory of Peter is what does it look like to embody Jesus' humility and sacrificial suffering service to others? So he talks about government, human institutions, employers, and now he's talking about in the marriage. <clears throat> and while we're on the subject, Peter says this. He goes on. He says, her respectful and godly submissive behavior preaches the gospel to her unbelieving husband. And you know what else does? Her appearance and her behavior. Look what it says in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so a godly wife is aided in her calling by modest appearance and mild behavior. Again, that probably sounds to a lot of young people today, if you're under 30, pretty oppressive or something like that. Like, how dare you say that I should dress modestly or be mild in my behavior, right? You've seen the bumper sticker, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history, right? So that's, what's that's, that's the sort of truth statement working in the hearts of a lot of people in our culture today. And this just seems like, you know, passe and old, but again, don't read it through those cultural lenses. Read it through what Peter is thinking about. In the Greco-Roman world, there were all these sort of mosaics and pictures and reliefs of Roman women, you know, sort of um, dressed to the nines with gold plating in their hair, you know, aristocratic, wealthy Roman women, and sort of what it meant to be, you know, a woman in the Greco-Roman Empire in the first century. And a lot of it, was sensual and worldly and carnal and sinful. And Peter is saying that godly women don't roll like that. Right? 
He says, Christian woman should focus on the inner beauty of the heart. And even secular people today agree with this, right? You remember the movie with Jack Black about 10 years ago, Shallow How? Remember that movie? That's a perfect example, right? I mean, you know, Shallow How, uh, something happens, some kind of magic spell where this really shallow guy who can only see the external you know, women's actual looks, he starts to see the inner beauty and they all, and these women who have inner beauty become absolutely beautiful to him. I mean, it's just a great moral, right? I mean, that's what Peter's really getting at, right? Work on the inner beauty of the heart, right? In other words, he's not saying you can't try to look beautiful, but he's saying that shouldn't be your main focus. You should try to cultivate the inner person of the heart, And so is there a lesson for women today? Sure. There's nothing wrong with nice makeup and clothing and, you know, looking bad. But that's not ultimately what communicates Christ's sacrificial love. It's your beautiful inner character that does. And that's all Peter's saying. So everyone calm down. The other thing he says is that a godly woman is mild in behavior. She's not loud and obnoxious. And frankly, this is a bad trait for anyone, right? I mean, there are places in the Proverbs where it says, you know, a fool is known by his loud talk and many words, right? If if it's not good for a man to be loud and obnoxious, it's not good for a woman to be either. It doesn't communicate Christ. You know, I'm not saying there's not a time for us to be sort of, to have fun and, you know, you know, sort of act outside of our normal behavior, you know, and kind of get crazy and wild. Sure, there are times for that, but generally speaking, mild behavior, and let me, again, this may sound oppressive for some, but let me, um, let me just sort of unpack it uh, a little bit more. Peter's intention here is just super practical, and if you haven't been married, Um, well, and men know, and I think women know, you know, that a cantankerous woman is hard to be around. A cantankerous man is hard to be around. You know, a cantankerous woman has no emotional intelligence, right? She speaks first and thinks later. Now, now this may be hard because I'm a guy saying it, and we're at a place in our culture, like, there's something called standpoint theory. You've never been a woman you don't have a right to say anything about what women can and should do. Look, I'm just repeating the word of God here. I'm trying to unpack it. And yes, it is true that as a man, I do not know everything a woman goes through, but I can proclaim some things by having three daughters and living with a wife for more time of my life than I have not lived with her. And I think she would endorse the things I'm saying, and she by no means is a shrew. She's no mouse who lets me just run roughshod over her. You know, sometimes she flexes on me and says, you know, raises her voice. But I think this is what Peter is getting at, is that the way we behave in the sight of others matters, right? A gentle, gracious humility should characterize a godly wife's behavior. And he gives the rationale. Look in verse 5 here. But this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
And you are her children, you godly women, you Christian women. You are the children, the daughters of Sarah. And if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. This is what godly wives and women look like, is what Peter is saying. It's not exhaustive. There's more to it. There are limitations that he doesn't talk about, that we've, we've traversed a little bit. And some of you are saying, come on, come on, let's get to the husbands here. And Peter has a word about husbands as well. Husbands ought to consider their wives, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Because there is a paradynamic at play, husbands need to be especially mindful to live with their wives in an understanding way. You say, what do you mean by a power dynamic? Well, men often have physical power over their wives. They have financial power often over their wives. That's not always true. Sometimes little guys marry big women, and sometimes poor guys marry rich, rich women. But often is the case, there is a power dynamic where men have physical power, financial power, influential power over their wives. And so Peter is saying, be mindful to steward that in a way that honors God. Be mindful of the power you have over your wife, and in that way, she's the weaker vessel, right? She's not weak, as if she, mentally she's, you know, she's not strong, but... I think there's just a practical aspect that he's talking about. A husband has to be careful not to abuse his wife's submission by running roughshod over her or being inconsiderate or harsh. And there are some husbands who are harsh. They're hard to live with. And Peter is saying, don't be that way. Don't be such a jerk. Don't dominate the God-giving authority and leadership that God has given you over your wife. Don't do that. Treat her in an understanding way. Be tender. Be respectful to her. Don't dismiss her. Don't belittle her opinions. Don't intimidate her and use your power over her to dominate her. That's what Peter's saying. A good example of this is, you know, when husbands and wives argue, a man's tendency is to raise his voice. Because that's how guys, isn't that how we argue with each other? Right? We get a little, a little tense and our voice elevates. But with a woman, it sometimes is interpreted as a kind of verbal intimidation. And I've seen this in my own marriage, that I have no violent intentions towards my wife, but there have been times in the past where we are arguing, and as I get frustrated and run out of patience, the volume of my voice gets higher, and I can see the tears in her eyes start to form because she feels that sort of aggression from me. And that's a tough thing, guys, that we all sort of struggle with, is we may not have any violent intentions, but verbally, it can intimidate our wives. Maybe just because we're bigger and stronger, and men can be violent, can't they? In the world we live in, we know that. So Peter says, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. 
Women are delicate, physically and emotionally. And ladies, that's no dig on you. It's a tragedy that that has been used as a cudgel over women, right? Oh, you're, she's emotionally, she's a basket case. You just, you can't, you can't talk to women, right? I mean, that's, that's not what Peter is talking about. Listen, the emotional delicacy that women have is a gift from God that men don't have. They have emotional intelligence that most men don't have. They are able to understand their children and other human beings in a way that is often much harder for men. They're gifted. The sort of emotionalness that they have is a gift from God. It's not a weakness. It's not, it's, or it's not a liability. It's, it's a gift that they have. It makes them sensitive. It often gives them an under, understanding of, of, of human beings. I've, I've spoken many times in the past about how my wife has to remind me about caring for other people. You know, so-and-so three weeks ago, so-and-so told you their aunt's, you know, son or something, their cousin was sick, you know, uh, have you checked on them? I'm like, what? Oh, they haven't said anything about it. Call them, dummy. You know, see how they're doing. You know, maybe a hard time. So I don't have often that natural emotional intelligence. I'm growing in that capacity. So when we say, you know, we talk about sort of the delicacy of a woman, Peter says, husbands, steward your wives. Serve them. Care for them. Be mindful of them. Be sensitive to them. And this is Peter's rationale. And this, to me, wraps up the whole, the whole train of thought. He says, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They're your covenantal equal and co-heirs with you in Christ. God's, God loves your wife, your wives, your wife, you singular husbands, you should only have one wife. God loves your wife as much as he loves you. He doesn't love her any less. Your wife is a partaker of the promises and covenants of God just as much as you are, and she is a joint heir with you in Christ. She will receive all of the promised blessings that God promises in Christ just like you. And so be mindful of that, cognizant of that. And if you think you can get away with mistreating her, think again. God won't answer your prayers. He says, live with them in an understanding way. Right? so that your prayers may not be hindered. There are lots of views of marriage, marriage today, aren't there? Uh, the definition of marriage is getting broader and broader and broader. And, you know, sometimes it's day-to-day, week-to-week. Every year there's a new definition of marriage. But this is the covenantal view of marriage. This is the Christian view of marriage, and some cannot abide that. But this is God's view of marriage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the ways that you gently speak to us in your word. We recognize that we need extra grace because we are living at a time when the Bible is misunderstood, mishandled, often perverted by unbeliever and sometimes believers alike. And so, Lord, we need wisdom and discernment. We need apologetic courage to say hard things at times, which sometimes, no matter how we say them, our culture will not hear. But, Lord, let us bear up the truth in love 
and in faithfulness for the glory of Christ. And let us, both husbands and wives, wives and husbands, see every difficult situation, including our domestic calling, as a way to emulate and model the sacrificial suffering service of Jesus Christ. Amen.